everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Care Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. Each of the stories you'll be hearing me talk about have been divided into four separate categories. The first set of them is actually about a very important milestone. It has now been one year since I first introduced News of the Month on this show. When I started it, I figured it would be a great way of keeping the podcast going every couple weeks or so as a new episode of this series would be out on the first Monday of every month. And indeed, it has accomplished everything I thought it would. Though interestingly enough, when I made and put out the first episode of News of the Month, that was shortly before this global pandemic began. So I'm very grateful that doing this series as well as the podcast itself was really helpful in keeping me occupied throughout this really long year. However, if you go back and listen to the very first episode of News of the Month from March 2020, you can see, or in this case, hear how much I was able to grow this series as it went on. I even managed to have guests on a couple of different episodes, such as Ron Fassler in May of 2020 and John francois in December of 2020, while I currently don't have any other guests lined up for future episodes of News of the Month, I'm certainly open to having other people join me for one from time to time. In any case, for those who've been listening to this series since its debut last year, I thank you all so much for sticking around. This next set of news stories is about The Wizard of Oz. Author L. Frank Baum's classic story has endured through so many different iterations over the years ever since the original novel was published back in 1900. The most famous one of them all is MGM's classic 1939 live-action movie musical adaptation starring Judy Garland. Yet in a world where about 50% of the films that come out nowadays are sequels, remakes, and reboots, it was only a matter of time before we got to the announcement of a cinematic reimagining of The Wizard of Oz. New Line Cinema is developing what is said to be a fresh take on the novel that is planning to draw on elements from the 1939 classic. Nicole Castle, who was most recently a director on HBO's Emmy-winning miniseries Watchmen, is set to be at the helm. Just why? I mean, the 1939 Wizard of Oz is one of the most beloved movies of all time, so why bother trying to mess with perfection? Will Hollywood ever learn that the movies that should be remade or rebooted are the ones that didn't even work the first time around it that way they would have nowhere to go but up? I mean, timeless classics like The Wizard of Oz should be left alone. This may not necessarily be a direct remake of the 1939 film, but there are still tons of better ideas to do than that. Like, you could make a biographical film about the making of The Wizard of Oz. After all, that had such a legendary behind-the-scenes story that in and of itself is worthy of a movie movie or miniseries. Barry Levinson, who won an Oscar for Rain Man back in 1988, is already set to direct a biopic about the making of The Godfather, starring Oscar Isaac, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Elizabeth Moss, so why not do that for The Wizard of Oz instead of rebooting it? Then again, another better idea would probably be to tell a whole new story set in the Land of Oz. Disney is already doing that with the Star Wars universe in the vein of movies and TV shows, and is planning to continue moving forward. Plus, there have been countless forms of different media over the years that expanded upon the world of The Wizard of Oz beyond a Dorothy Gale story, one of which happens to segue into this next bit of news. 
Back in November of last year, I discussed the news of three-time Oscar-nominated director Stephen Daldry exiting Universal's long-awaited film adaptation of the Broadway smash Wicked, which explores the origin story of the Wicked Witch of the West, as well as her friendship with Glinda the Good Witch, and that the studio is already out looking for someone to take over. Now they found a replacement, and that is John M. Chu. For those unfamiliar with his work, he has helmed dance movies such as 2008's Step Up to the Streets and 2010's Step Up 3D, as well as the 2015 musical Gem and the Holograms. Not to mention that he is also the director behind the upcoming film adaptation of the 2008 Tony-winning musical In the Heights, which is set to be released in theaters and on HBO Max this June. He's done other movies too, most notably the 2018 Golden Globe-nominated romantic comedy Crazy Rich Asians. I haven't seen any of his prior musical or music-driven work, but I've heard that despite the lukewarm reception to the Step Up movies overall, his directing of the dance sequences in the second and third installments were seen as the best things about them. I also haven't seen Gem and the Holograms, but I heard it was pretty terrible, but it was also probably doomed from the start. From the trailer that was released for the In the Heights movie, it looked pretty great to me. In a recent blog post from the Schwartz scene, composer lyricist Stephen Schwartz revealed his thoughts on this, saying, As many people know, the director originally planned for the Wicked movie, the wonderful Stephen Daldry, had to leave the project when the pandemic caused a total change of schedule. Over the past month or so, we had been in discussions with a director to replace him, and I'm so happy that he has agreed to do the movie and has now been announced John M. Chu. He is the terrific young director of Crazy Rich Asians and the upcoming film version of In the Heights, both of which I've seen and loved. Winnie Holzman, Mark Platt, and I have been very excited by John's ideas for Wicked, and we're really looking forward now to getting down to work with him and having the production move forward again. In fact, when John Chu posted the announcement on his Twitter feed, he asked his followers, So Twitterverse, who should we cast? If you've been following care reviews on Facebook, Twitter, and or me on Instagram, you may have noticed that I started a series of blog posts where I offer my own casting ideas for different characters. I've already done some for the roles of Elphaba and Fiero, and I am planning to do more soon. While no production timeline for the film has been revealed yet, Universal is reportedly hoping to begin production later this year. So when we do eventually get some legit casting news regarding Wicked, I'll be sure to discuss it here on the show. This next news story is about another questionable cinematic reboot. In previous episodes, I discussed stories regarding new film adaptations of stage musicals such as Little Shop of Horrors and Fiddler on the Roof being in the works, despite the first go-arounds for both of those already succeeding very well. Now we've got another one to talk about because a new film adaptation of Rodgers and Hammerstein's classic 1951 musical The King and I is in the works at Paramount Pictures. This would be the third big screen outing following the 1956 Academy Award-winning film which starred Deborah Carr and Deal Brenner reprising his role as the King of Siam from the original Broadway cast and the infamous 1999 cartoon adaptation. The 1956 version has long been considered 
considered to be a classic within the genre of movie musicals, and is also probably the second most well-regarded film adaptation of a Rodgers and Hammerstein work, only behind The Sound of Music. The cartoon version, well, that tried to do a Disney-fied version of the story with so many liberties. Ted Chapin, who's the president of the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization, said he considered allowing it to be made as his biggest mistake in terms of granting or denying permission to any of Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein II's works. The estates even declared that no more animated features based on their musicals would ever be made as a result. As for my thoughts on this... It's pretty much the same question I ask every time I learn news of a remake or reboot of a beloved cinematic property. If you got it right the first time, then why bother doing it again? After all, I did just mention that The King and I was rebooted as an animated film once back in 1999, and it did not turn out well. I know some people may just make the argument, well, this version would at least have actual Asian performers playing Asian characters as opposed to the 1956 version. I understand that, because back in the day, it wasn't really that big of a deal when white performers played characters who were supposed to be people of color. Though if that happens nowadays, there would be huge protests from people. That's also the argument some have made regarding Steven Spielberg's upcoming West Side Story reboot, as it has actual Hispanic performers playing Hispanic characters as opposed to the 1961 classic. However, here's where I stand on that. If the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, then it should be left alone, warts and all. Don't get me wrong, I think it's definitely nice to have more culturally appropriate casting nowadays, but I also don't think that's a good enough reason to want to make new film adaptations of The King and I and West Side Story, because that's what more current stage productions are there for. If you ask me, I think future generations should discover their old-school movie adaptations and hopefully enjoy them, warts and all. After all, the whitewashing of both of those aren't even close to being as offensive as Mickey Rooney playing an Asian character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Plus, if you want to see a film version of The King and I with more culturally appropriate casting, I recommend you check out the pro-shot taping of the 2018 West End production with Kelly O'Hara, Ken Watanabe, and Ruthie and Miles all reprising their roles from their most recent Broadway revival on Broadway HD. As for how Paramount's cinematic reboot will turn out, we'll see if this ends up making it beyond the developmental stage. For our final subject, I'd like to take this moment to remember three industry veterans we've lost within this past month. Veteran actor Hal Holbrook died on January 23rd at the age of 95, although no cause of death has been revealed. He was someone who managed to win a Tony Award in 1966 for his acclaimed one-man show, Mark Twain Tonight, as well as five Emmys from 1971 through 1989. One of them was for playing Abraham Lincoln in a television miniseries, which was ironic because he went on to play Francis Preston Blair in Steven Spielberg's 2012 biographical film, Lincoln, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Holbrook was also a one-time Oscar nominee for a supporting role in 2007's Into the Wild, directed by Sean Penn. Legendary actor Christopher Plummer died of complications from a fall on February 5th at the age of 91. 
While he was best remembered for co-starring as Captain Von Trapp in one of the most beloved movies of all time, 1965's The Sound of Music, he also appeared on Broadway 16 times from 1954 through 2007. He even won two Tony Awards for his performances in Cyrano in 1974 and Barrymore in 1997. In 2009, he earned his very first Oscar nomination for his performance as Leo Tolstoy in The Last Station, where he starred opposite Helen Two years later, Christopher Plummer became the oldest person to have ever won an acting Oscar at the age of 82 for a supporting role in 2011's Beginners. I'll always remember watching the Oscars that year and him beginning his acceptance speech with, You're only two years older than me, darling. Where have you been all my life? His third and final Oscar nomination was in 2017 for his performance as J. Paul Getty in All the Money in the World. What is worth noting about that one is that director Ridley Scott had originally filmed that movie with Kevin Spacey in the role, but after the actor was publicly exposed to sexual misconduct by countless men in the fall of 2017, Christopher Plummer came in to save the film at the last minute after Ridley decided to reshoot all of Getty's scenes with a different actor. That nomination made Plummer the oldest acting nominee in Oscar history at the age of 88. Singer Mary Wilson died in her sleep on February 8th at the age of 76. While she was best remembered as a founding member of the Supremes, she has also been depicted in the jukebox biographical musicals Motown and Ain't Too Proud. In fact, one of my former guests, Ariana DeBose, actually played her as one of the characters on her ensemble track in the original cast of Motown the Musical. Mary Wilson also competed on the 28th season of Dancing with the Stars back in 2019, where she was the first to be eliminated. My condolences definitely go out to all of their families. So that just about does it for the news of this month. I will be back on April 5th to discuss any bit of entertainment news stories that I found interesting and or important from March. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at CareReviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.